Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Division among God's people has destroyed more lives, more churches, more of the witness of Jesus on the earth than just about any other tool that the devil has ever used. And so believer against believer, mom against dad, son against daughter, or son against brother or sister, on all the different relationships that are there. In the church, leaders against leaders, church against leaders, church against church, you know, denomination against denomination, whatever combination you can think of. Division is destructive. It brings desolation. Every kingdom, every house, every city against itself will not stand. This is amazing grace. It's great to be with you today. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. You might find your way over to John's Gospel, chapter 3, as we'll be there in just a minute. Pastor Ed, if we had to sum up this passage in a word, it could be division. And little did you know when you delivered this message many years ago that division would be at such high levels as it is today. What are you hoping our listeners will walk away with from this study in John? Yeah, it's amazing with radio, isn't it, Larry? Because some of these messages were recorded years ago, but the the Word of God is timeless, isn't it? It always accomplishes the purposes for which it was sent. So no matter what year a Bible study was recorded in, it's still relevant in so many ways because the Word of God never goes out of relevance. I think of how many times I get to listen to Pastor Chuck Smith, who's gone home to be with the Lord, and his Bible studies are still so powerful and impacting in my life. But you know what I'm hoping listeners walk away from is a desire to be one with Christ and in unity with others in the Spirit. In the divisive world that we're in, economically, politically, geopolitically, uh, personally, economically, every layer of strata, the enemy loves to fish in troubled waters, someone once said, and the way the waters get troubled is through division. So the Bible says for us to strive, right? Well, there's a lot of striving today, but it's against one another. That's against the Bible. What we're to do is to strive together for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's my desire for anyone listening. Please don't participate in division. Don't get involved in gossip. Don't tear down a brother or sister. If you have a real issue with a brother or sister, follow what the Bible says to resolve it. The more that you go out, the more you're posting, the more you're stirring up, the more, it, the more you're sinning. Because God's heart is to resolve it. God's heart is to create friends out of enemies. He's, he's to re- take unity out of division. And a house divided can't stand. So run to Jesus. Come humbly, meekly. And don't participate in division. Please, please, please. But rather be an agent of peace. A peacemaker like Jesus said. And God will bless that. With that, let's dig into the Word now. Here's Pastor Ed with his message, Unity Triumphs Over Division. All right, open your Bibles to a couple places. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to use Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to end up back in our study in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 3. We're going to finish the chapter today, 
But before that, we're going to jump off from a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 12 that I'd like you to see in your own Bibles. So Matthew 12, John chapter 3. Now, have you ever noticed um, there are just some people, maybe you're one of them, that's not all into that Home Depot, Lowe's, you know, the whole home improvement scene. Are you one of them? I'm one of them. I can't fix anything. I don't want to go to Home Depot. I don't want to go to Lowe's. Why can't it just be broke? That's how I view it. <laughs> now, of course, in my house, things aren't going to be broke for very long because Marie will fix it. That's just how she is. This is the way it is. I'm okay with it. She's okay with it. That's just the way it is. You know, if she has a problem with her computer, you know where she's going to go. If she has a problem with the faucet, can't help you, honey. So when she wants to go to Home Depot, I'll occasionally tag along. And when you walk through, since I really don't pay attention to the store at all, I can just be an observer. None of that stuff energizes me. I could care less about riding mowers or not. None of that. None of it matters to me. So I'm just kind of an observer. While Marie knows where to go and get what she needs to get, uh, I, one of the things that I notice uh, when I am in, in like a Home Depot or Lowe's is that they have the new tool set out like right out front. And they've got nice displays and LEDs and now this new tool. I mean, it's just a drill. It's been a drill. Drills drill like they have forever. But this new drill will even talk to you and say, oh, you're a good driller. You're a good driller. Whatever, you know, some new thing that is trying to grab your attention. And every time we go in, there just seems like to be a new tool, some new battery pack or something. And, and here's the deal, if you didn't know this already. They're sending you a message, and they're trying to tell you that the tool you have at home, the one that's worked forever, the one that's no problem, it's been handed down for generations, like it works, like the Amish people do it with their hands. You don't even need a tool. They just work things with their hand, but you've got a tool. The tool that you have is no good. You need the new one. And it's not just tools. You know, I was just thinking of Home Depot being there recently, but it's not just tools. It's all sorts of stuff. It's the commercials were cars, your car's a piece of junk, and you're like, yeah, well, my car is a piece of junk. Yeah, okay, okay. You know what I mean. That, that you can't, like, it's not good enough for you. You know, I know, I, I see the mileage on my car, and I'm just, I just feel compelled to pray that it's not going to break down. Um, because I have no intention of getting another car. I don't want to get another car, but the mileage is telling me it's coming soon, whether I like it or not. It's just, it's, it, and yet, so if I was a car guy, I'm not a tool guy, I'm not a car guy, but if I saw a commercial about some cool car, then I'm like, well, you know, maybe I should go get it now. And, and, and that, that seems to be the message of, of our world. It, it's, you know, when, when you see tools, you have to understand something. I don't want you to, you know, next time you go to Homes, uh, Home Depot or Lowe's, don't, don't think so much about them selling you tools. Just when you see the tools, just remember this. The devil has tools, and he doesn't have new ones. He doesn't need new ones. He uses the same old, worn-out tools that he has from the beginning of his diabolical schemes when he came and fell uh, from heaven and rebelled against God. He has tools to destroy. You could say that he has a toolbox with a bunch of worn-out, used tools And if you're taking notes, let me just give you a few of them that have been used over the years with the church, with you. Things that you have to look out for. Things that you need to look. The enemy loves to exploit our flesh 
and the weaknesses of our lives. And one of the ways he comes against the church, number one, is outward persecution. He'll just have, he'll inspire people to come outwardly at you. Just come at you. Come at the church, come at you personally because you're the church. They'll say things about you. They'll lie about you. They'll, they'll you know, in today's, in today's world, there's all the technology. So they'll just, boom, it's just outward, constantly, constantly, just to, to bring you down outwardly. And he's done that to the church for years, trying to persecute and destroy the church outwardly. Secondly, he has the tool of inward Attack the inward corruption that comes. If the devil can't destroy the church from the outside, you know, if he can't get at you from the outside, then he's going to work to get to you from the inside. To get you as, you know, as a church body to compromise. Compromise doctrinally. Compromise, you know, mixing it with, mixing ourselves with the world system and letting some things in that really should never be in. Because the Bible says, the Bible says. See, the beginning of corruption in the church is an abandonment of the Bible. Just stepping away. You see, the authority that we have in the, in the church is not opinion and ideas. It's the Word of God. And, and every church and every believer that abandons the Word of God or turn, tear, tears pages out and says, it doesn't belong to me, I don't believe in that. Well, you just can't pick and choose. And so if he doesn't get you outwardly, he'll try to get you inwardly some corruption sexually or whatever, doctrinally, all kinds of different ones. Thirdly, he'll expose us and inspire false teachers so that the gospel, the true message of the gospel gets mixed up and it's not as pure as what Jesus taught. And so they incites confusion, which then leads to, you know, compromise and, and that's one way he does it. Four, another thing he loves to do is he loves to prick that, you know, flip that switch in your life of pride. And pride comes in many different ways. It destroys believers every day of the week, one by one. God wants us to be humble, and we in our own Adamic, you know, the, what we inherited from Adam, um, we love to think too highly of ourselves or think too lowly of ourselves. Pride. The devil understands pride. You know why? Because he was expelled from heaven because of pride. I will be like God. I, he knows all about pride. And I suspect that many of you do too, as you've seen it exposed in your life. I certainly have. Pride is a destructive force in our lives. He'll destroy people with pride. Another one is discouragement. We prayed for that. Number five, discouragement is a tool that the enemy loves to use against believers. He can get you sad, and he can get you inward. He gets you discouraged. He will neutralize your effectiveness. And ultimately, you know, the, the Bible says that the devil is just as real as God in heaven. That there's a God is real. The devil is real. The Bible says the devil has come, you know, the enemy's come just except to steal, kill, and ultimately destroy. And so discouragement is like a worn out weapon that the devil uses. And then the final one, and these aren't all of them, but these are ones that are really relevant to us, I think, today, is number six is, I think this is the number one tool if I had to order them, but I kept it for last because I want to talk about it a little bit, and that is division. Man, does the devil love division. That's why I asked you to open to Matthew chapter 12 because I believe that the devil believes what Jesus said. Sometimes I think the devil believes more in the Bible than we do. And I believe he believes this scripture. And I want you to leave here today believing it too. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. Matthew 12, verse 25. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to, what does your Bible say? Desolation. 
Every kingdom that's divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. I believe the devil believes that and uses it. Division among God's people has destroyed more lives, more churches, more of the witness of Jesus on the earth than just about any other tool that the devil has ever used. And so believer against believer, mom against dad, son against daughter, or son against brother or sister, on all the different relationships that are there. In the church, leaders against leaders, church against leaders, church against church, you know, denomination against denomination, whatever combination you can think of. Division is destructive. It brings desolation. Every kingdom, every house, every city against itself will not stand. Now, remember, from God's perspective, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you can just jot it down, verse 18 and following. God's heart is reconciliation. God's heart is restoration. God's heart is not for competition, comparison, division, discord. The Bible says that he even hates those that sow seeds of discord. And so with true, humble repentance and a dependence upon God, reconciliation is automatic in Jesus. It's automatic. And with one side, if one side's humble and one side's broken and repentant, without the other side, there's not going to be any reconciliation. It takes two. And you can see so much damage has been done. Now, with all that in mind, let's come to John chapter 3 and let's finish up the chapter together. And we will pray that we can and we will. We pick up in verse 22 where we left off last time. You know, after Jesus invests his time in Nicodemus who came to him at night, He heads into the area of Judea, where a dispute begins among John's disciples. And so let's pick up in verse 22 of John chapter 3. It says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. So John gives us, John the author gives us that kind of timetable where there's that. This is all happening in the time before John the Baptist was thrown into prison. Now, according to John, the timing's after Nicodemus. And before this time of prison for John the Baptist, before he was beheaded. And as Jesus sets out in ministry, his disciples baptized very similarly, similarly to how John the Baptist was baptizing. So now we've got two groups of people baptized. According to John chapter 4 verse 2, we know that Jesus was with his disciples, but he wasn't baptizing. You can just see that real quick, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. So he's there with the group. They're baptizing. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't baptize anyone. Why? Probably for practical purposes. Uh, in light of knowing being God in human flesh, that not giving anyone the opportunity to elevate themselves above someone else. Because you can imagine the discussions that would happen. Who baptized you? I don't know. Some crazy guy, some Matthew. I don't know who he was. Who baptized you? Jesus. Oh! And you start dropping that on people, you know, and you're arguing. You know, do you know who you're talking to? Uh, you're talking to the guy that Jesus baptized. You know, just, no, no, no. He didn't do that. I think that that would have inflamed. I mean, it's very, one of the reasons why um, there's a lot of artifacts that don't exist today. Can you imagine if if they were able to find the exact cross that Jesus, I mean, it would be broken down and sold in little vials of little toothpicks and you can have a part of the cross and they would be, the cross would be more important than the one that hung on it. And so you see an example here of the pattern where Jesus' disciples were baptizing and also John the Baptist was baptizing in another area at the same time. 
Now, I love this section because we, let's ask a question here because we have John the Baptist, he's baptizing, and let's just ask a simple question. Why did John choose to baptize in this area, uh, in the area of Ainon and near Salim? You know, we, we often think that there is some major spiritual God's voice from heaven burning bush reason for every decision we're supposed to make. But that's not so. We don't read that God gave him a word of knowledge of where to baptize. We don't read that God pointed out to him in a dream or a vision. It just says, we know why. It says he baptized there. Why? In verse 23. Because there was much water. Great place to baptize. Hey, where do you want to baptize? You know, probably a place with a lot of water. That's a good, that's a good choice. It's another, by the way, it's another reason why, and we didn't get into it last time, but it's another evidence in the scriptures of why we believe in full immersion. You wouldn't need much water if you weren't dunking people under and taking them up. You wouldn't need much water. You just need a little bit. And so there's the nuances and the, the simplicity of the scriptures where even John the Baptist found a place where there was much water. And so much of what we do here at Calvary, so many of the decisions that we make um, as we're seeking God and as we're praying, um, you know, that we just make the decisions based on, well, you know what, there's a lot of water there. Why don't we just go do that? And there's a, you know, that, that's, it, we, don't, we don't wait like in a room and say, nobody's going to leave until God speaks. I mean, there are some things that we wait on the Lord, but eventually God's saying, you know what, you just need to take a step of faith. I've led you to these two places, so take a step of faith and decide and do something. Do something. And we don't always wait for a dream or a vision, although on some we do pray for quite a bit. We don't always wait for three verses of confirmation to be perfectly in order before we act, but we regularly take steps of faith. We just step, maybe I think this is from the Lord. And we're going to step out in faith. And you know what? When you step out in faith, you will soon find out why the Lord would have you to take that step of faith. Because when you take a step of faith, depending on the Lord and believing you heard from him, you never fail. It's not a failure. It's like, well, but, but I thought, I thought that when I took, took a step of faith, um, that it would, just, it would just happen the way I want. No, no, no. You took the step of faith and God has used your willingness to obey to reveal a part of himself to you. And sometimes that's failure. Sometimes that's a step out and you go, oh, that's not from God. Oh, okay, now you know. You know you have an added piece in your personal walk with him of, you know what, God doesn't want you there. He doesn't want that coming from your life. And so much of we do, this is exactly what we do. The steps of a righteous man, the Bible says, are ordered by the Lord. And so, well, maybe you're here today. You go, man, I think I have a calling to be a missionary. Ed, where should I go? Where should I go? Well, I don't know. We should pray about it. But while we're waiting on the Lord, why don't you go to McDonald's? McDonald's? Yeah, there's a lot of people there. Why don't you go share the gospel at McDonald's? Grab a Big Mac, sit down with somebody, and, and, and share the gospel. Well, no, I'm called to the mission field. I know. So step out in faith and start. Somebody make eye contact with you, share the gospel with them. Missionary. Yeah, but I think I need to take a class. You don't need to take a class. Just take your Bible. Show up at McDonald's. Look somebody in the eye and say, you know, I was thinking about French fries the other day. I see you've got French fries in your hand. You know, you don't, I don't know how you're going to do it. You, you be creative. But you see, you've got to take the steps of faith now. You know, if you want to be a long-term missionary here, we're developing things that will help you prepare for that. We're putting things together to help you step out in faith and 
And we want, we're putting things together so that while you're in a controlled environment here within your church, you are able to exercise your gift so that you can step out in faith. And if you fail, you can come back to someone, you know, close and we can talk about it. And we go, what were you thinking? And how did it go? And, and train you and teach you so that when God does take you across the world, you'll have, you know, we can't perfectly prepare everyone. We don't, we don't even know what that looks like. But we can do as much as we can with this time that we have with you to prepare you and equip you in the word of God. And then you will launch out ultimately trusting in God and relying upon his Holy Spirit wherever you go in the world. And taking that big of a step really does, is built up by taking smaller steps here while you're on the way, the Lord will lead you. So it's very natural. Why were they baptizing? Because there was water there. There was water. I love what John Corson says on this. Pastor John is up in uh, Applegate area of Oregon, and he writes in his commentary, uh, Augustine said it best, he said, when he, t- when he wrote, love God with all your heart and do whatever you please. If you truly love God with all of your heart, your desires will be in harmony with his will. Therefore, I encourage you to trust the Lord to use your desires, interests, and abilities in his naturally supernatural way to bring joy to your heart and glory to himself. So there doesn't always have to be some huge revelation of God in order to take a step of faith. Take the step of faith based on what you have. Now, now they're baptizing, verse 25. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And Jesus answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. Now, let's start from their conclusion, since it sheds light on why the dispute actually arose. The conclusion that they have is that all are coming to him, as if they were losing disciples. You you get a sense of competition here, and concern, and comparison. John, your ministry is dwindling. Because now that Jesus is here, it seems like more people are going to him and his disciples. And it started with this division, you know, this, this concern between the Jews about purification, uh, which was a doctrinal issue. And I can see the discussion being doctrinal. And what about the purification? And, but they're probably referring to baptism. Uh, but it could also have included the ritualistic purifications of the Jews. They could have just been arguing. We don't know. We just know what they said. It's about purification. But in verse 26, the dispute with the Jews, they then run to John with the conclusion that Jesus is taking everyone away. The atmosphere is filled with despair and anguish. And John's response would either incite the division or calm it down. He had, it was his, he had the ability to make it worse or to make it better because there was already conflict. And there was always this sense of a change. We're enjoying a study in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at EdTaylor.org. And look for his podcast. It's called Lead to Serve on Apple Podcasts. That's Lead, the number two, Serve. There he discusses the value of servant leadership. And I should also mention Abounding Grace is available by podcast. Hey, thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. 
It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Pastor Chuck Smith's very popular book, Love the More Excellent Way. We toss the word around rather casually. We say we love pizza, we love our dog, and we love our spouse. Hopefully not in that order. But what is love? It would serve us well to look into this and receive God's perspective. And love, the more excellent way, gives that to us. You'll walk away with a greater understanding of the beautiful depth of God's love for us and develop a deeper understanding of God's heart for us. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or make a request online at calvaryco.store. Again, that's calvaryco.store. And if you'd like to make a donation to the ministry and not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through John next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.